So I'm sorry, I, I apologize, but once again, uh, I have a message that I feel like the Lord has laid on my heart. And when you get to teach about Shavuot and Pentecost, and you're a younger guy, you're, I'm a very young guy, I still haven't hit 40 yet, so I can classify myself as young. As long as I keep shaving the sides of my head, you'll never know how many gray hairs are there, and we will be good. But as a young man, it, it, being in this movement, being in this denomination, in this faith for about 14 years, um, no, it's not 14 years. Uh, this is why my wife does the math. For a long period of time, you hear a lot of Pentecost, a lot of Shavuot teachings. You see a lot of different angles from that. And a lot of wiser men than myself, uh, a lot of wiser women than myself who have delivered those messages. And so when I figured out that I was on a Pentecost day, basically, um, I was like, all right, Lord, you know, what do you want me to teach about? He's like the apocalypse in Pentecost. So normally when I think about Pentecost, I think about Shavuot, I think about a happy time. I think about the giving of the Torah at Sinai with the Israelites. I think about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit after the ascension of Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah. And those are all happy times. The establishment of a nation, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that transformed men into being ambassadors for the kingdom. Uh, happy times. So the apocalypse, how does that necessarily fit in? Well, we know if we've been around Christianity for any period of time, I have since I was 13. I gave my life to, to the Lord when I was 13 years old. I was in choir school somewhere out there. There is a mixtape of me singing soprano at the age of like seven or eight um, uh, once in Royal David City. And so I think I was seven or eight years old at that time, choir school in a Presbyterian church back in the day. Um, my mom better not ever let that make it to the internet. But it's there. And in that time, there's two main things that I can tell you. And if you're older than me, you can either confirm or deny that this has happened in your generation as well. Two major things that Christians like to talk about. One is Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, Mashiach. Whatever name, whatever spelling, whatever pronunciation that you choose to use. The other is the end times, the apocalypse. When I hear that term, I think of Will Smith in Independence Day going to fight the aliens. I think of Bruce Willis in Armageddon and Liv Tyler. It's like, I don't want to close my eyes. I think of what Hollywood has made it into. But if you've been in any different denominations, if you study the word of God from different writers and authors and preachers and pastors and teachers, you know that the end times is talked about almost as much as Jesus is. And in some circles, in some denominations, if you were to look at the social media interaction of individuals, the end of days is actually talked about more than Messiah is. The apocalypse. Hmm. Anytime an event takes place in our world, you see an ongoing chatter about the apocalypse. Donald Trump was the president. If Donald Trump isn't reelected, oh my goodness, what will happen? The world will come to an end. We will slide into the abyss and Jesus will come. When Barack Obama was the president, Barack Obama was the antichrist. I've heard it all over the place. I should probably turn off my ring doorbell. Sorry about that. It's amazing that didn't happen during worship. I don't know who it is. Probably Amazon. Amazon doesn't take a Sabbath, and I don't know why. You would think when you have that much money, you could take a Sabbath, but it must be the mark of the beast. Oh, sorry, talking about the end times again. So anytime something happens, we immediately like to turn it into some sort of apocalyptic event. 
It's a very big moneymaker. Uh, it seems to be even more fitting to talk about the apocalypse and the feast days now more than ever because anybody who's been watching the news the last couple of, of days knows that Israel and Hamas were engaged in basically a war, uh, at least a, a, a version of a war. Um, it was a nice little spat that was taking place. And then there's a semi-ceasefire that's happened as well. So praise God for protecting Israel. Um, anybody who's read the book understands that this is not over. Uh, it's just slightly delayed. Maybe it's a rain delay. Um, who knows? Maybe they got put on the COVID list. I don't know. Uh, COVID also went away this week. End times prophecy update again. So when we talk about the apocalypse, anything that hops up is immediately twisted or perverted or put into some guise of the end of the world. Any person who's read their Bible, though, understands that American politics and what happens in the United States of America has very little influence in any type of futuristic events for the second coming of Yeshua. Israel itself is the center and Israel proper, the larger group of land that's there, the promised land, that is the center of God's prophecy. That's the center of God's end time events. Uh, it's not Washington, D.C. It's not New York. It's not Texas. It's not Governor DeSantis in Florida. It is Israel. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the perversion of the American end times events. People flock to those teachings. People donate to those teachings. There's a lot of money to be made. There's t-shirts, there's books. And once a book is written and something doesn't happen, then another book is written on top of it and another book and another book and another book and another book. All because it sells. It's like a drug. The end times is like a drug. People are so concerned with what will happen in the future that we forget that God has ordained you to be here now. And I'm not advocating for you to not be prepared. That's not at all what I'm saying. But we must find a balance. We must find a balance. Oddly enough, Pentecost, Shavuot, is a great feast to talk about balance. The Torah and the Spirit. A lot of times we'll find churches that will emphasize heavily on Torah, Old Testament commandments, very little about the fruit of the Spirit or how to walk that out, how to live out those instructions. Other times we'll see churches that are very much about the Spirit, but there's no real instruction by which to grasp the Spirit. We've got snakes flying everywhere, and we've got all kinds of things happening, or we've got no singing, no dancing, no rejoicing, no compassion, no long-suffering all over all needs balance yet our current definition of apocalypse or apocalyptic end time events eschatology isn't a biblical one it's a modern one but it's not biblical at all and i do want to preface this I'm not going to go as far into detail with all of the different scriptures and historical things and stuff like that today. I'm going to hit a highlight of it because that's not the whole purpose of it. However, Daniel did do about a year ago, he did a teaching on uh, the, what is a biblical apocalypse, and he went into far more detail on that. That is on our YouTube page if you would like to go back and check that out because there is some good information in there, and I think it's important. 
I think it is important. A biblical apocalypse is not the end or doom or gloom. A biblical apocalypse is actually a new beginning. It's a new beginning. When we think about that, it should be something so intense that it completely changes how we go about something. Our encounter with the Lord, an apocalyptic encounter with the Lord, is not the doom or the gloom of us. It is not the death of us. It should be the rebirth of us. It should be a different way of thinking. Let's look at some examples in the Bible. In Genesis 28, 11 through 17, we see the story of Jacob's ladder. And a little bit before, it tells us a little bit about Jacob's life. It tells us a little bit about what's happening there. And then obviously, there's all the time of Jacob. Yet Jacob was, Jacob was a cheater. He cheated his brother. He was deceptive to his father. And he created his own personal exile. A couple years ago, I had a saying in one of my teachings that the calling always comes in the chaos. Chaos is when you are out of order with God. And I always believe that when you are experiencing chaos in your life, you are out of order with what God wants for you. Well, same thing we see here. If you are in a personal exile because you were a cheater, you were deceptive, <laughs> Don't you think he would be in chaos? Yet God comes and he talks to Jacob and he gives him this vision. And out of this dream, Jacob sees the heavenly realm and the physical realm, the spiritual realm come together. Jacob's ladder. I remember that from Sunday school, the teaching of Jacob's ladder. I don't remember a lot from Sunday school. Most of it had to do with the archie archie, Jacob's ladder and giants in the land. I remembered Father Abraham too. And that one has stuck with me the most, but that just popped into my mind this morning as I was thinking back to my days at College Hill Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Jacob's ladder was an apocalyptic moment for him. It was one that God utterly shattered his paradigm and thought process and revealed God's reality. See, Jacob's reality was not God's reality before Jacob's ladder. Jacob had his own reality. And yet God come and he came and he met with Jacob in his vision and he shattered it. And when Jacob awoke, everything was different. How we thought about everything was different. That's an apocalypse right there. Everything changed. His encounter with God Almighty, yod Hey vav Hey, in his sleep, the visions that he saw utterly changed everything about how he thought and how he moved forward. In Genesis 35, 6 through 7, we see that Jacob's encounter was called an apocalypse, the Hebrew word galah. It says, And Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him, and there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because their God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Hmm. Interesting. So using Jacob's example of an apocalypse, the only end that happened was the end of the way that Jacob was thinking and acting. It wasn't a death of him in a physical sense. It was an utter transfiguration of mind, body, and spirit to act in the way that God had called him and commanded him to do so. Hmm. 
like a rebirth. It wasn't the end of the world. It was just a shift from his perspective to a godly perspective. This shift created a brand new reality for Jacob. How many of you have had those in your life? How many of you have had those moments where you were going down a path or you thought about something a certain way, or maybe it was an ideology or a theology or something, and whether it was through a vision, it was through friendships, it was through a Bible study, it was through prayer, it was through some interaction with God, you completely changed and went a different way. I would have to say everybody in this room at some point in time did because not many people show up for church on a Saturday. Not many. And even less who show up to church on a Saturday who believe that Jesus is Messiah. There are a lot of people who worship on Fridays and Saturdays, but when you start to when you start to put Messiah back into the mix there, it's a very, very small number of people. Now I think that's changing. I think the spirit is moving. I'm excited. A lot of people are very upset with the world. They're very scared for the world. They're very cautious for the world. Guess what? Anytime there's darkness, that means the light gets to shine. It shines brighter. Go back to my Sunday school days. Unless you hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. It's really that basic, guys. It really is that basic. I know it seems childish. And you're looking up here and you're like, this dude is like going straight back to like salty singing all the, the kid, kids' songs from Sunday school, but it really is that simple. When the darkness seems to be greater, it is a greater opportunity for the light of the world to shine and cast out the darkness. If everything is light, then it's just light. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No, but we know that that's not the environment we live in. We know that that's not the age we live in right now. And if God allows us to see that, praise him. Praise him. If he tells me that I get to see the darkness around me, then I better be doing my job as a light. As a light. In Galatians 1, 11 through 12, we see that Paul writes about an apocalypse. How many of you guys know the story of the transformation of Paul, Saul? How many of you guys remember that story? He writes about his apocalypse that took place on his way to Damascus as it was recorded in Acts chapter 9, 1 through 9. It says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, you guys belong to the way, by the way. So let's just go ahead and put this in perspective right now. So Paul went to the leadership of another denomination and said, I want letters to go to Oklahoma City and I want to find leaders of the way. I want to find those Saturday church people. I want to find them, men and women, that he might bring them bound back to Norman, to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Hmm. Paul was a Pharisee. At that time, I would think Paul was well known by the high priest. I would think that the high priest and Paul probably had a relationship to some degree. Now, I obviously wasn't there. I did not get the deets. I didn't get to watch the TikTok. So I don't know as a firsthand witness. But Paul was getting letters, basically permission to go out and, and bound and bring people back. So as a pastor, I'm not a high priest. 
My hair might be high and priestly today, but I'm not a high priest. That's a joke. You can laugh. We're all, it's okay to laugh on the Sabbath. You can laugh at me. It's okay. I laugh at myself. But that's like me writing a letter and sending Stephen out to Oklahoma City to go to some other congregation or some other church so that we can bring them back bound. Really? This is in the Holy Land. This is the priesthood. Handing out letters to bound people and bring them back. Hmm. And yet, on that road, on that duty, Paul was not, Saul was not a good dude. Same dude later on, you know, the transformation. So I'm giving away the plot. Spoiler alert. He goes, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Yeshua, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who are traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. This was an apocalyptic moment. Paul saw at that time was a Pharisaical Jew who was seeking out Christians, Messianic Israelites, Hebrew roots, Hebraic roots, whatever you want to call yourself, the way. Whatever you want to call Nazarenes. I've heard every term under the sun. Guess what? Terms mean things, but terms aren't the end all to be all. Because at the end of the day, you can call yourself a Hebrew rooter, but I'm pretty sure when Yeshua comes back, he's not going to call you a Hebrew rooter or a messianic or whatever. He's going to call you faithful servant. He's going to call you a child. He's going to call you mine. He's going to call you something that is not some sort of like, hi, I'm the assistant manager of, no, God's ways are not our ways. His ways are not our ways. And Saul had an encounter with the almighty God, Yeshua, and he couldn't see and he didn't eat or drink for three days. Interestingly enough, too, He's instructed to go to the city and wait. Hmm. There was another time, right around this time, where Yeshua is getting ready to go to his father, and he told the instructions of the disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait. To stay in Jerusalem and wait. I wonder if there was any connection in that with Paul and the instruction for him to go into the city and wait. This was an apocalyptic moment for Paul. Paul was never the same. Thank God. Think of Corinthians and think of all of these other people who Paul ran into at various different times or Paul's words went through this person, went through that person, went through this person, all the way down today where there's thousands and thousands and thousands of denominations. And while, yes, I wish there wasn't, guess what? They still believe Jesus is the Messiah, and a lot of that has to do with the works of Paul. The guy who is headhunting believers in Jesus. He was out there trying to bring him back, binding him up and bringing him back. He was persecuting him. He had an apocalyptic encounter with the Almighty God, completely changed who he was. Why is there not a movie about that? 
I mean, I like me some Will Smith. In Independence Day, I like that movie. I watched it with my kids a couple years ago. Forgot there were certain things in that movie. But I like that movie. But we're talking about this dude who is out there headhunting the way and completely transformed his life, completely, utterly changed the world as an individual, had other people who he taught, and he went and he did these, and these disciples changed the world. Why is there no movies about him? Brad Scott, God rest his soul, used to dress up as Shaul and do an interactive teaching on Paul. Paul gets a lot of negativity nowadays. But God saw fit to take a man who he could have wiped off the face of the earth at any point in time. I cannot believe as, as Jesus is coming and talking to Paul here. I, why didn't he wipe him off the face of the earth? Because God saw his value. And God knew that if Paul was to have an interaction in the heavenly and physical realm with Yeshua the Messiah, that Paul could change and from being one of the most influential people in a negative way could be one of the most influential people for the way, the truth, and the life. Guys, sometimes we see people with our physical eyes and we see them not the same way God sees them. Nobody's too far gone. Nobody. Nobody's too far gone. The entire Bible is about having apocalyptic type of interactions with your Savior and not being the same not being the same as who you were beforehand. Pentecost. Genesis 20 tells us about Abimelech. Man, I did it. Hallelujah. I I said that like a hundred times this morning. I was like all over the map, and I was like, that's the one where it's going to be like, like, he was speaking in tongues for a minute. Praise God. Praise God. Abimelech. I got to say it because I can say it right for right now. I just need to make sure it's on camera so we have a recorded thing. I said a Bible name correct. Church, this is big. This is big. It's a Red Sea moment for me. Abimelech, he had an apocalyptic encounter with God when he realized that he was taking Abraham's wife, not his sister. God stepped in, changed his thought process. 2 Samuel 7 tells us about David's apocalyptic encounter with God and his revelation that he was not to build the house for the Lord, the temple, but that God instead was going to build a house for him and his family. Isaiah and Jeremiah both had apocalyptic encounters with God and received visions that they were to share with God's people. Amos, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Daniel, and even John all have apocalyptic encounters with God throughout the scripture. Guys, once we see that the apocalypse and apocalyptic events through the biblical lens, we don't take John the baptizer's words in the book of Revelation the same way. 
We don't step back and say, oh my goodness gracious, I need to go binge watch Left Behind so Kirk Cameron can tell me how to survive the tribulation. We don't go and watch John Cusack in that movie about the end of the world where everything was going to come in the Mayan calendar and all these things. I'm 39 years old. I am not the oldest person in this room, but I can tell you that I have been in the church since my earliest memories. Every year could be the year. Guess what? That's true. It's absolutely true. Every year could be the year. Why? Because God gets to choose what he wants to do. But let me remind you about something. The same apocalyptic moments you had when Jesus came and you had that encounter that you'll never forget, that you accepted Yeshua the Messiah as your salvation, that like take your breath away moment, you might have your breath taken away at any moment. God might come, he might stand right here and he might say, HFF, I am coming on the Feast of Trumpets in 2030 we're like yes yes i want to tell the world i want them to be prepared i want them to be prepared and the thing he left out is that your last breath is tomorrow your last breath is a week from now your last breath is in two years from now your last breath is the day before i come back The end of the world is important. We live in Oklahoma. You should always have something to protect yourself. Tornadoes, softball hail, cicadas, Uber drivers. Sorry, Daniel. You never know at what moment God might utterly change your world. Why? Because the same free will he gave you to choose him, he gave to another person to not choose him or to choose him. And this world continuously is choosing them, not him. We see it every day. We see it every day. We see it every day. But that moment that God comes and he meets with you, even if you did not know he was coming, even if you did not ask for him to come, the moment that he came and he met with you and he changed your circumstances, it was because he's got a plan for you. You may not know it. You may not understand it. You may not even be walking in it yet. But he knows. He knows every hair on your head. And while you're focused on what might be the end of this life, he's focused on trying to get you to step into your new one. He's trying to get you to step into your new one. But no, we're fighting whether a woman should be able to teach or not. No, we're fighting whether Shavuot was last week or this week. If you celebrated Shavuot last week, hog Sameach to you. If you're celebrating it tomorrow, hog Sameach to you. If you have a whole different calendar and you're celebrating in three months from now, hog Sameach to you. The whole point 
is that you're honoring God to the best of the ability inside your home. God didn't give me as one of the pastors and one of the founders of this church the ability to step into your home and take spiritual leadership for you. I can stand up here and I can tell you about what God's doing in my life. I can tell you what what the Holy Spirit had me write down this week. I can even, in the midst of the message, change from the notes because God is telling me to do something different at that point in time. But if it's not happening in your home, if you're not having that relationship with God, then you're missing out on your own apocalypse. You're missing out on what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit isn't just living inside Chris Frankie or Daniel Musson or Ephraim Judah. The Holy Spirit poured out in the temple, in the book of Acts, to every person. Every person. Tonight, and I'm going to talk as if tonight is, is Shavuot. If you celebrated Shavuot before, my apologies, but it still counts. Just the time frame's off a little bit. But tonight, as the sun sets, we will go into the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost Shavuot. I believe, and I have taught, every time they've allowed me to speak on this, that Shavuot is one of the most overlooked festivals in commanded feast that we celebrate as believers in Yeshua today. Passover gets a lot of love. Sukkot gets a lot of love. We all go camping. We get out a giant commercial smoker. We smoke some beef. We smoke some lamb. We smoke some chicken. Have a grand old time. And there's nothing wrong with that. Those feasts were commanded. But what do we do for Shavuot? What do we do do for Pentecost? What do we do for the Feast of Weeks? It's like the high is Passover, and then all of a sudden we scoot into unleavened bread. We kind of hop, skip, and jump over first fruits. Uh, I mean, you know, there was that one thing that happened. You know, Messiah rose from the dead. Without that, we're not here. (laughs) And then we just kind of coast. The disciples were in disbelief that Yeshua had risen from the dead. Honestly, and this is just my opinion, I believe Yeshua not only raised himself from the dead and revealed himself to a woman first because it would have been seen as taboo in that culture, but because I don't think men would have believed him at first. I, th- I think it's quite realistic to think that if I was a disciple of Yeshua in that time and he were to die and I were to see him die and then I were to see him in front of me, I would not be able to logically and rationally process that. And there would be some element of disbelief because how I'm wired as a man, I tend to think of things not necessarily more emotionally or more spiritually first. It's more logically and more rationally. But nonetheless, Yeshua 
rose, he showed himself to his disciples. He walked. And in 40 days, he rose. And as all of this was happening, he gave the disciples an instruction. It was to wait. Do not leave Jerusalem. I'm not sure I understand this. The disciples were Israelites. They were Hebrews. They culturally understood the premise better than us. If we're 10 days away from Pentecost and Yeshua ascends to the Father, where would they have been going? Because the commandment was to go to the temple three times a year. One of those times was Pentecost and Shavuot. Where would they have been going for 10 days? Would they have run away? Possibly. I don't know. We're only speculating. Again, I've been looking for the recorded VH1s behind the music with Paul and with James and with all the guys, but so far they have not released them on Netflix. Maybe Disney Plus, I don't know, but Disney's of the adversaries, so there's that. Again, we can laugh. Got to lighten the mood when you're talking about the apocalypse, guys. But where would they have been going? Ten days between the ascension of Yeshua HaMashiach and Pentecost, when they would have naturally been in the temple. Why, why did Jesus give them the commandment to wait in Jerusalem? Things that make you go, hmm. I personally believe, and it's again an opinion, I believe it's because they were scared. And even though they saw Yeshua, even though they saw him raised, they were scared. I think it's quite possible that they would have gone right back to their fleshly ways and run away. I think it's quite possible. I mean, when I was in high school, I ran with a bunch of tough kids, and we never had a problem picking a fight. Never had a problem. But you would never, on a Friday night at a football game, try to pick a fight with somebody when the big, strong kid wasn't there. Because you knew, like, hey, well, we might, but you just didn't do it. Well, the disciples, they weren't big, strong men. They were fishermen. Paul was like the baddest of the dudes at that point in time. But even then, Paul had to get permission and had the whole backing of the hierarchy of the temple service at that point in time. So they waited in the upper room like they were commanded to do so. And yet, when we think about apocalypse based upon how our current culture, the United States of America, pictures the apocalypse, wouldn't it be more like the Red Sea? Wouldn't it be more like, okay, you got the Israelites and they're sitting here in the middle and right here we got this whole like water and according to some teachers, there's like doggone the fish gods, like boop, 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 like flipper, free willy out of the thing. And then behind you, you got all these guys who were cast, who like got oil on them and they're like all buff and they got like these horse chariots and they're beating them and they got swords and they got spears and they're coming. And here in the middle, you got a bunch of these Hebrews who, by the way, probably were ripped 
let's just be real. These guys were like making houses in bricks, like they were slaves. They were probably also skinny, but they, were, they weren't weak. They weren't weak people. You don't do that kind of manual labor on a regular basis and end up just being scrawny little weak people. But they're sitting here in the middle, and all of a sudden you got like this Ken Burns thing happening with this. And you got the J.J. Abrams sound effect, and it's like, and there's spears flying everywhere. And it's like, oh my gosh, is it the end for the Israelites? That's what our modern day would like us to believe is the apocalypse. But where are we talking about the fact that the nation of Israel had an apocalypse in Mount Sinai? They were completely transformed. They came through the water. They came to the base of the mountain. God came. He talked. He moved. He created them into a nation when they were slaves. That's where they became bond servants, not slaves. That was an apocalyptic event. It was a joyous event. It was an exciting event. I'm sure there was probably a little bit of fear too. But we don't talk about that. What about the apocalypse that took place in the temple with, in the book of Acts on Shavuot? They were there. They brought their offering just like they always would. They were in the courtyards along with all the men who considered themselves to be Hebrews who had come back from their lands and from their place and they had brought their offering before God in the temple. They didn't know what to do. God told them that they should, they should stay in Jerusalem and wait, but they were fulfilling the commandments that they had done throughout their life. And they go and they're in the temple and all of a sudden something happens. There's an apocalypse. No, it was not the destruction of the temple. No, it was not the temple fell and crumbled, crumbled into the ground. No, it was not that the Nephilim came flying on spaceships into the temple mount. No, it was the Holy Spirit fell on them and utterly transformed who they were. These are the same men that walked with Jesus on a daily basis. And yet, in this moment, at this time, during the Feast of Pentecost, during the Feast of Weeks, they're standing in the temple court, and all of a sudden, they're completely changed. The power of God is moving through them. And everybody hears the same thing. Everybody heard the same thing. We're a small portion of Christianity. We're a small portion in our denomination. Small portion. But it's almost impossible to get two or three people to agree on something in a dialogue without a fight. And the power of God came and moved in the temple with people who had probably never met each other before. And yet they were all in one accord. Hmm. Guys, if you ever listen to my teachings, if you've ever been a part of services where I've spoken, you know I don't have a lot of love for focusing on the end of the world without doing what God's commanded you to do right now. You know that's just a, that's a thing God's put on my heart. But I absolutely want a biblical apocalypse for this church, for every church 
for every city, for every leader. I want them to experience a biblical apocalypse that causes people to come together in one accord, that causes them to have that moment where they realize they're no longer slaves, but they're bond servants. I want them to have that biblical apocalypse that lets them know that they have the same power that Jesus had. If you submit yourself to God and the Holy Spirit works through you, you can do anything because the Holy Spirit can do anything. But too often, we want to take the modern approach to Scripture, the modern approach to apocalypse, is the modern approach to Shavuot, which is do nothing. You're going to do nothing, you're going to get nothing. I'm sorry. God will find another vessel. He will find another vessel. But while... Modern Christianity is so focused on the end and the destruction of this world. We're doing nothing to help people to experience biblical apocalypses in their life. Yeah, we might have created soldiers, weekend soldiers. Because by scaring them into believe they're going to hell or they're going to heaven or the world is coming to an end, yeah, they might turn and they might come to church on a Saturday or a Sunday. But when push comes to shove, are they really in it? There's a reason why you're here today. This isn't the most popular church in Oklahoma City. It's not even the most popular church in Norman or more. We're not exactly easy to find. We don't have some like massive billboard out there. We're not on TBN. We're not on CBN. But yet God brought you here for some reason. Maybe you came kicking and screaming. Maybe you came because you wanted to be here. Maybe you came because you just needed to get out of the house. I don't know. Only you know. But you're here because you followed the inkling of the Holy Spirit in your life to show up. And tonight, as the sun goes down, we will enter into Shavuot, Pentecost. I have no idea if some future time in history, in some future book that would have to be ghostwritten if I wrote it. That they will potentially be talking about some unbelievable manifestation of, of the God of heaven's armies, yod heh manifesting himself in Norman, Oklahoma on the Feast of Pentecost in the year 2021. I have no idea. My job is not to predict the future. It never was to predict the future. My job is to obey God. And when I don't know something and I don't know that God has given me a direction, it's to wait on the Lord for his spirit to tell me. Some of you are in that Egypt. You're in that wilderness right now. Some of you, you don't have a clear picture of what God's asking you to do in this current season. Some of you do know exactly what you're supposed to do. The beautiful thing is that your calling is always going to be different than another person's. Even if the tasks are the same, 
The mission for you is different than another person because no person is the same, no mission is the same, no task is the same. That's the beauty of our God, is that Israel is so diverse, his people are so diverse. Yet tonight, as we go into Shavuot, let us celebrate the potential biblical apocalypse that's potentially coming for each and every one of us. And let us make sure that we stop perverting biblical apocalypses with modern apocalypses. Because when God comes and he puts an end to whatever it is that's in your life that he needs to put an end to, it's not doom and gloom. It's a time to rejoice. It's a time to be excited. It is a feast of freedom. And whenever the world comes to an end and Messiah comes back, it's a new beginning. If you are in Messiah, it is a new beginning. It is not anything to fear. It's a time to rejoice. It's a time to rejoice. It is a time to recognize the freedom that this world will finally have. The adversary's dominion over this domain will be gone. He can't cause problems anymore. Our fleshly issues will be gone. At Sinai, there was an apocalypse. In the temple on the feast of Shavuot, in the book of Acts, there was an apocalypse. Every time we come up to Shavuot in the future, we should be expecting an apocalypse. We should be looking for an apocalypse. We should be open-hearted and ready for the Lord to have his way with us. Because the greatest hindrance to the Holy Spirit is unwilling hearts. Come prepared, come ready, come excited. Not because Kim's going to knock it out of the park with an amazing sermon or Stephen's going to do amazing worship. It's because it's God's day. It's God's feast. It's God's time. And he invited you. He could have invited anybody in the world and he invited you. Hallelujah. I'll never understand why he invited me. I will always be in awe of the fact that he invited me. The apocalypse is coming. Let's not pervert it anymore. Ephraim, if you'll come.